Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And joining us uh, for the fourth time is Tom Tanuki. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Am I basically, basically, I'm the executive producer now. Is that, is that, is that about right? Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. <laughs> uh, Tom, did you have a, uh, a good weekend reclaiming your uh, roots as Australia's premier yarder? Yeah, I haven't been, I haven't yelled at anyone for quite some time. I, it was, it was odd. And what's more, I haven't done it up in Brisbane before, but I did it in Brisbane this time. And, uh, you know, I just frankly, just the, the change was, was very odd. I mean, I, I mean, not only, I mean, we weren't yelling at ultra nationalists or anything this time, like I'm sort of more, a little bit more used to, but we've yelled at different kinds of people. But this time it was kind of people heading to a populist and vaguely nationalist kind of anti vax rally. And also it was in a weird situation where they were kind of like all around us. And I kept feeling that if, if it were Melbourne by those standards, we probably would have been in a fight or it would have been a lot more tension, but instead it was just this really casual abuse gauntlet. You're all delusional. You really are. In six months you'll be back to watching Married at First Sight. You don't care about politics. You're a daydreamer. Have a good day, though. We were just sort of meandering along and I was telling them they were all daydreamers and they were calling me a, uh, what did I get called, a... Uh, uh, boot liquor and that kind of thing, and it was really casual and it was really nice. It was nice to step back into the yarding boots. Just for people that might not be aware, uh, what is yarding and where were you on the weekend? Yep, uh, good question. Yarding is an acronym, and YARD stands for Yelling at Racist Dogs, which is a group that was founded in late 2017, very much in the era of uh, popular named racist dogs, be they, you know, touring ones at the time like Lauren Southern or you know, faux citizen journal ones, journalist ones like RV Yemeni. Uh, so it was founded in that era. However, at, you know, as you can see, you know, it's got its applications, uh, 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 you know, much more wide, wide sort of base than just, you know, yelling at nationalists. I mean, you know, obviously there's the argument between, you know, CAF, Campaign Against Racism of Fashion, who, who were holding counter rallies to some of these anti-vax rallies that were being held last weekend. And, you know, they say that the rallies are led by the far right. I'm more inclined to argue, as I think some of you 
probably would be that there's a definite faction in there of manipulating far-right people, but it's more that they just keep rolling over for them. So it might be a little bit academic at this stage, but, you know, by the time that they're actually attacking unions and that kind of thing, maybe you should judge them more through their actions than through their, their factions, you know what I mean? But nonetheless, yeah, there were rallies all across Australia and, you know, obviously famously the Melbourne one had... They think it had the most protesters of any rally in Australian history, which sounds a little bit lurid, but, you know, they're given to overblow things a bit. But we reckon that they had 100,000 or more, which is incredible. I, I'm not going to undervalue that achievement of theirs. Um, How do you explain that, Tom? I mean, I think I don't know what the numbers are like, but 100,000 is, you know, a, a figure that's been touted and, and seemingly supported by a number of uh, rational commenters or commentators, which is quite significant. It's huge. And what I thought was um, remarkable was that this took place at the same time as Victoria was reaching uh, a double vaccination rate of those aged 16 of over of about 90%. So, in other words, great, the great majority of adult uh, Victorians have been vaccinated. And at the same time, and, and the restrictions on movement have been lessened, um, yep. There's much more freedom of movement than there was some time ago. At the same time, at that very moment, you see tens of thousands, let's say, take to the streets in protest. So, what do you, th- and, and in what seems to be the largest assembly of its kind to date, what, what do you make of that? <laughs> well, first of all, I got it so wrong a couple of weeks ago when I said, oh, I'm pretty sure that they're all going to be shrinking with all of those change circumstances that you just stated, you know what I mean, the loosening of restrictions. So, like, I, you know, part of me wonders why you're asking me at all because I'm like, I probably, maybe well, my Because you're a guest on the show, Tom, and we want your wisdom, so please, <laughs> be wrong again. <laughs> Thank you. Well, no, so here's the thing. I definitely thought that they would shrink, but then... You know, as you know, I've been doing commentary on, you know, and looking at, you know, along with you guys, on on movement for a long time, you know, since it began uh, uh, more than 18 months ago. And one persistent criticism I always had of it is that basically it was a conspiracist melting pot scene, as in they're all just happy to get together. I mean, like we previously saw with a lot of, you know, American QAnon rallies and that kind of thing, at conspiracist rallies you generally get this uh, as one comrade puts it, like, protestable vibe, that they're just happy to be there and that they're not really protesting for anything in particular. They're just happy to get together because they've been hanging out on Telegram and trading bullshit back and forth and now they're happy to hit the streets and to just sort of hold their placards about, you know, uh, uh, one of a million different things that they've learned from Telegram and just be there and that that isn't really the same as having a tangible movement with goals, names and, you know, uh, you know things that you're, you're, you're actually, yeah, tangible demands. So I always had that criticism of them. However, and this is the main reason I think that they've swelled right now, to probably uh, manage to get out. I think what you saw in Melbourne was probably, you know, almost close to the full numbers of people who've been red-pilled during the pandemic. You know, I, I, I can't imagine it's too much larger than that. I think you pretty much saw. And because someone actually mentioned to me that they noticed that real Rukshan's 
uh, live stream numbers were, it might have been UCAM, I'm not sure, were among the, you know, around the lowest they'd ever seen them. And it's because, you know, some of us think it's because they were all actually out of the day. <laughs> so you're really just seeing pretty much everyone. I think that's, that's, you starting to see realistic numbers. And the reason is, is because they do have a tangible demand. Whether you like them or not, right now, they are asking for something tangible and political. And that is that they want an item of legislation that they've all blown up to, uh, you know, to, to communism launching proportions. Uh, the pandemic management bill, uh, that Daniel Andrews has tabled. They want that bill killed. And that, unlike going, oh, you know, we want, every mask to disappear or we want the virus to disappear or we want to pretend that we can go back 80 months or anything else that they were saying before. That's a very tangible thing. It's also led to a huge amount of support from all these kind of like, you know, buzzing vultures of the UAP, One Nation, and you know, even some Liberal Party senators and people who now see that ahead of yet next year's federal election, oh, we can start to really use these people for something. Let's get them appetised for engagement in the political world. So they actually got getting excited that they're angry about the bill because they're like, okay, well, if then if we can use their anger to see that they can kill this bill off, then they'll be really enthused to participate in the political process, which is going to be great for a few opportunist far-right politics vultures ahead of next year's election. So I think for all those reasons, that's why you saw this hugely swell thing. I didn't expect it would swell this much. I didn't think they had this many in among their ranks at all, but, you know, I think it's a pretty good, you know, gauge of how many people in full have been red pilled in Melbourne through the pandemic. And I think you pretty much saw most of them on those live streams. <laughs> I guess, well, for one thing, uh, Tom, to your point about uh, your failed predictions, if we were to yeah. uh, ban people from the show because they had made a, a failed prediction, there would be no more show. Um, It'd just be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you never said nothing wrong. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Ian. Thank you, Tom. Continue, yeah. well, <laughs> I was wondering, what did you make of uh, people like uh, Adam Somurek emerging as uh, heroes? In fact, uh, a hero sent f- from God himself, I heard, on the weekend. <laughs> What's your take on that? Oh, it's just nauseating, isn't it? I mean, it's another thing. I mean, it's just this kind of like, you know, hokey populism really involves that you have absolutely no memory of the history of, of any kind of politics at all because if you can't even remember the requisite few months back to when Adem Somurek was exposed as like this, you know, this this uh, shadowy, you know, hollow man <laughs> standing in the back back rooms of Victorian state politics. If you have no memory of that even and that you've just managed to reinvent him in your mind from what what amounts to one more, no more than a few tweets from him, then you, you're really gullible. But we all know that this movement's really gullible and all they want is someone to tell them what they want to hear. I mean, they're so primed to just be told whatever they want to hear by whoever's ready to chuckle their morals in the bin and do it. And, I mean, it doesn't seem to me that that bloke had too many morals in the first place. So, you know, he's got a score to settle with, uh, you know, the the uh, Dan Andrews faction of the Labor Party, and he decided to use all of these foaming-at-the-mouth um, telegram idiots to do it, and it's worked out really well for him, I suppose. So good on him. Good on him, I reckon. I think my two... My two most maybe jokerifying outcomes of all of that, uh, in terms of jokerifying me, were that one that Adam Somurek tweeted 
something along the lines of, you know, they say that they were fascists here. Well, I saw a lot of Greeks and Turks and no Greek or Turk has ever been a fascist. Like you opened yeah. the offices of the Grey Wolves in Melbourne, the Turkish see, fascist outfit. I did. And that was an interesting learn. I'm glad he said that because through that I got to learn that he helped to open the Grey Wolves office. As you said, I, I genuinely didn't know of that. I, I can't say I knew too much about the history of Adam Samirak, even, you know, beyond the things that, you know, the, the, the last few months controversy that he was embroiled in. But, um, you know, from his... From his incredibly dumb tweet, um, I got to learn about that, which is interesting. But then again, I'm not the, you know, I'm not the audience you want learning about that. I suppose you want the people that are entertained by him learning that. But they seem absolutely immune at this stage to being told that anyone is a fascist. They've been vaccinated. They've been vaccinated against the impact of being told that someone is far right. I think they hear the words. And I, I honestly at this stage think that someone in the freedom movement hears the words and they feel a little bit insecure and wounded <laughs> when you say that to them. I think they they think that you're calling them a fascist. And, I, you know, I've had many conversations with them saying, I know you don't know who the far-right people are in that movement. I'm not saying you're lying to me. I'm saying they're here, we're giving you their names you know, we're telling you who they are. We're telling you the impact of letting them call some of the shots in your movement and do some of the most high-profile stunts in it. And we're telling you it makes it very hard for us to trust that you're going in an innocuous direction, particularly when coupled with the increasing abuse and occasional violence against healthcare workers and the like. And you're telling us that we're lying. Um, so I, I don't think that I don't think that um, you can tell anyone in that movement anymore that anyone's a fascist. It doesn't. They're immunised from it. I think they're also about to learn a lesson about the makeup of the upper house in Victoria, particularly that there are a number of single issue minor parties who are not voting with the government but can without any trouble. And so I think yeah. uh, next week when you know all taxis are made mandatory. Uh, they'll find out that you know maybe Transport Matters Victoria was a uh, you know not that fussed about supporting the pandemic management bill. Yeah, maybe the single issue party was after indeed after all a single issue party, and perhaps it paid to perhaps it paid to find out what that is, or perhaps they didn't issue their death threats and diseased condoms in the right direction. I mean, after all, that's what they attempted to do with the Animal Justice Party MP um, uh, Andy Medic, isn't it? You know, or just issuing death threats to Samantha Ratnam, the people that looked like that they were the most involved in process of, of, of helping to inform and, and, and issue constructive criticism on that legislation also seem to be the people who the uh, more enthused among the anti-lockdown movement abused and threatened the most. So I don't know. I, may, maybe they'll find out that all the, the, the diseased condoms they sent to anti-medic didn't end up turning out to have any effect in the parliamentary process. Perhaps all the UAP people, when they were trying to use or siphon political will out of these people, should have instructed them on how to actually try and participate in the process of getting reform to legislation. In terms of Brisbane and, I guess, Sydney, what's your understanding of the situation outside of Melbourne where have the numbers been uh, as impressive? Do you think this says anything about, I guess, Melbourne status as a, a, a city in which people are more prepared to take to the streets? 
I always feel that people are more prepared to take the streets in Melbourne. It seems woven into the fabric of the city itself that it will get slightly more people than in other cities. Not mind you, I have also seen, you know, Black Lives Matter rallies uh, in Brisbane to the effect of about 50,000 people from the footage there last year. Uh, you know, the, 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 the will exists in other places. It's, it just seems woven into the history, as we know, but also into the, the fabric of, of Melbourne itself. Brisbane got about, I can speak well for Brisbane, it seemed to get about 3,000 people, which maybe that's a little bit of an underestimate, a three to 5,000, which is, to put it, to, it, that is pretty much what they've had all along. So you know, I haven't necessarily advertised this as much as I perhaps should have, and I think a little bit of that is because these Brisbane rallies were never very exciting and they always quite had a, as I said earlier, a protestable vibe to them, which I found a little nauseating. But they have in Brisbane pretty consistently, even when Melbourne dwindled, always got about 5,000 people to their anti-lockdown rallies. And I'm talking about for a year or so now. So they've been a bit of a sleeper hit. That's also a year in which they have not actually been locked down. That's right. They haven't had the aspect where they've been able to uh, uh, project themselves under the face of very staunch, you know, Vic Pol opposition, you know, rubber bullets and bear cats and tear gas canisters and all like, as you know, the, the enemy of the state and the like, which has been a shot in the arm for their reputation in Melbourne anyway. They've never been able to have that. They, they can't really even uh, lay claim to any, I don't think, or very bare minimal uh, uh, police you know, uh, suppression or what have you. So they've got very big numbers. They've also got a very organised and slightly worrying movement developing in the form of a group called People's Revolution, <laughs> which has, which is run by, yeah, it's nauseating. It's run by a guy called Tritty Tricky. Bloody malice. Yeah, it's run by a guy called Tritty Tricky, who's a Sri Lankan man who likes to lend the impression when he's speaking to Indigenous audiences that he's not Sri Lankan and he's rather Indigenous. So a little bit of mild... Uh, subliminal race shifting he does in order to gain cultural capital among Indigenous and uh, uh, Pacifica communities, which he's actually very good at doing. And that's become a, a bit of a worry. I'm starting to get reports from, you know, like Indigenous activist mates up in, you know, remote areas of, of, of Queensland and the like who are saying, you know, what's this people's revolution? Why are these people in their ear? Why are they at this Indigenous event? So on and so forth. So their impact is becoming uh, or their, their outreach is becoming increasingly well organised. They seem to have this class of people at their rallies called guardians who are like, I don't know who they are. They're, they're basically very well organised. A little bit adjacent to like, you, you see down in Melbourne there's this group called the Peacemakers run by you know, ex-MMA guy called Nick Patterson and they sort of style themselves as like, you know, rally can crowd control and, you know, they play a little bit of a martial but also a little bit of a we'll fight the cops or we'll fight enemies kind of vibe to them. Well, they're a bit like that but way more well organised and so so there's some concerning things going on in terms of the cohesion and the organisation up in Brisbane. There's a lot of numbers, basically, and I, 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 I can't speak to Sydney so well right now, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of numbers there. I'm pretty sure there's just huge numbers all around the nation. But without a firm cause at home, like you see in Melbourne, the cause, of the, you know, the, 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 the scene doesn't necessarily swell to its maximum size of red pill people, I think. But uh, we have to hope that we don't see any more tangible concerns for them because, I mean, obviously we've got the vaccine mandates coming and that's going to be pushing people out more and more as well, isn't it, you know? Tom, you've produced uh, videos and various other forms of content yeah. <laughs> as an online content uh, guy. provider. Guy. Um, guy, sorry, yeah. um, engaging with these ideas and to some extent, I guess, 
attempting to reach out to audience that audiences that may find kinds of messages that are being um, conveyed by these movements as appealing yeah. um, in an attempt to provide an alternative uh, perspective. At the same time, having a relatively, I mean, relative to uh, various other figures, having a relatively limited impact. I've myself been contacted by various individuals who are part of this movement who have said, look, I share some of these concerns, but I am also concerned about the extent to which an anti-lockdown movement or an anti-vaccination movement allows space for more determined far-right actors. Mm. What have you found, if anything, as being more effective means of engagement? Because in my experience, I think, as you've uh, highlighted, sometimes it can be very difficult. If someone's convinced of a position, it's a long-term project to be able to engage with those individuals or those groups in a way that allows for a conversation in which there's some sense in which there is some common ground. Yeah. And there's some space for rational debate. And I know you've had some, you've expressed some concerns or qualms about whether or not it's worthwhile, for example, as happened on the weekend, counter mobilizations of some sort. So in Melbourne, we saw uh, CARF organize a relatively small presence of perhaps a thousand people, but certainly dwarfed by the numbers that attended the uh, other rally. Mm. Do you think that, you know, in future, do you think those kinds of assemblages are actually useful? And what kind of positive political function do you think that they can perform? And in terms of your own social engagement, what have you found to be most conducive to uh, some kind of conversation that doesn't uh, lend credence to far-right ideas and, and, and I guess undermines the appeal of a more determined far-right presence within these movements? Well, I, I mean, the reason that I eventually, you know, yeah, you're right to say that I've had you know, my concerns about uh, whether we counter-mobilise in, in, in physically at rallies against them. I've shared those concerns in the past and uh, I endorsed CAF's rally whilst, in the end, whilst not wanting to simply endorse the messaging and that I don't agree that it's fundamentally far right. I think that that's a faction there and I'm increasingly frustrated at their inability or unwillingness to deal with that far right element. Uh, you know, But my main reason for endorsing the counter-rally was not because I wanted to, as I keep inarticulately putting it, uh, I didn't want to rally penis measuring contests like in terms of size because I knew that we wouldn't win that measuring competition. I I wanted people to be ready in person in case, just in case, they started, for example, attacking vaccine clinics. I'm not just imagining that. That's happened. It's happened to a degree here, you know, nurses abused and spat on. It's happened a lot more cohesively in, say, the US and the like. I'm worried about that. I can see them growing more shrill. There's part of me that wonders, well, where does a anti-vaccine movement go given increasing pressure from mandates and the like, particularly after they get frustrated by the 22 federal election when they hopefully go the same way as Anning did with the last federal election. I mean, they either go in one or two directions. They, They all go off into an enclave and they don't interact with the rest of society anymore or they start growing increasingly violent. So I want us to be ready for that. So that is what I see as being important about beginning, even if we're having 100th people. I don't care about how big the rally is. I'm not interested. I wanted people to be getting together because I want people to be ready 
just in case we need to start mobilising outside clinics that are like, you know, and, and, and I think is part of like uh, uh, offering up grassroots support to each other as a community. I think that's one practical thing we can start to do. And I think that's a lot more useful than like, say, the idea of having a cop line with us on the other side of it yelling at them. Like, you know, I personally enjoy doing that through yarding, but, but I don't actually think that's useful with this movement. As I said, when I spoke at the Brisbane Rally the other weekend, I don't really see all of these people on the ground as my enemy per se. I think they're their own worst enemy and I think they're the community's worst enemy. But I think there might be some nurse, poor nurse, work, walking home at night's worst enemy, frankly, eventually. But I don't see them as my worst enemy and I don't really see the need for that kind of thing a la, you know, like Reclaim versus Calf a few years ago. I think it's a different situation, but I do see the need for us. I do see the importance for us, prospectively, uh, uh, to start organising um, as, a, as, a, as an assurance as insurance, just in case we need to start defending something, uh, you know, in the realm of public health in the future. So that's my idea on that. Now, in terms of speaking to people in the movement, I do speak to anti-lockdown organisers. Yes, I'm quite happy to speak to left-leaning anti-lockdown uh, movement members, and I do quite regularly. I used to offer them not my assistance, because I can't go into those movements, because members of the National Socialist Network are welcomed there. I'm not. You know, it's what basically, long story short, I can't go into those rallies. They can. You know, so if if there are left-leaning groups of people, this is what I regularly tell them, who who believe that there's something of that anti-lockdown movement that can be salvaged, um, uh, you know, then they need to start doing the thing that we did, for example, last weekend with Rukshan and Arby Yemeni, which is showing some spine and kicking those people out of their rallies and showing what they stand up for by rejecting elements that they don't stand up for. And actually doing that, by showing what you do not tolerate, you demonstrate to the public your your actual principles. If they started doing that, I would have a lot less cause for concern about the fascist elements in my movement. I would sit there laughing at home about how Neil Erickson is just about as unwelcome in there as I am. And then I could go back to my sort of smart-ass commentary on the anti-lockdown movement and not worry about it so much. Um, so I keep telling them that, but I worry that they're, that they're not really... They don't really care about that. I think that what they care about is getting on the telly and growing their rallies at no matter the cost. I think they don't care if there's any Nazi elements in there. And I think they'd rather just go, oh, no, you're just being, you're the left. The left say everyone's a racist except for them, but you're the real racist. That's what I think they're like. I don't think they care about policing the increasing fascist presence in there. But I continue to tell them it's what they should do. And I continue to do it in video. So I suppose the last part of the question, answering your question is that, yeah, I mean, I think my videos, yeah, limited success. I've turned some people around. I get messages from people saying, oh, you know, I'm in the movement, but I appreciate what you say. I lo- we learn lessons from it. I don't know how well they learn them, but, you know, I-, I like having that conversation because I'm sure you'll all agree the anti-lockdown movement might ship me to tears, but it ain't as bad as the movements I've looked at in the past. I don't hate them like I hate an ethno-nationalist movement. I don't hate them like I hate the National Socialist Network. So I'm quite happy to talk to you as long as you're not actually helping the platform fascists. I guess it's just that increasingly they are platform forming fascists so that's the quandary with these guys isn't it well on that note tom we'll leave it there thanks so much for joining us if people want to find you you're on twitter at tom underscore tanaki they can look you up on youtube instagram all of those places Please, please, come and hit me up there. I do videos around weekly and usually, invariably, they tend to be about the anti-lockdown movement uh, uh, these days. So come and come and catch up on the latest with all these plonkers there. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Well, Andy, Global Indifada is up next. We will catch you next week.
next week. See you then. <laughs> Bye. He sneaks into the room, crawling like a snake. Will the stupid peep ever guess his game? Will he think it feel? Got his dossier. Spray the special spray into the air. Yeah, MK Ultra. Will you wash my brain? MK Ultra. Tell me, I, 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 I wanna go inside. Wanna go inside. Wanna go inside. Wanna go inside. Suit. He looks just like a zoot Will a stupid play ever guess his name? Will he break the code? Or will he have it blown? Or will he just be fat to the other side? Yeah. MK Ultra Will you wash my brain? MK Ultra Tell me I, 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 I wanna go inside Will I go inside? Will I go inside? Will I go inside? I think so! December the 2nd, join the Rally for All Life and Habitat, led by Blinky the Spectacular Smoking Koala. Bring your banner for this family-friendly, non-arrestable action, co-hosted by Extinction Rebellion and community groups. Business as usual logs state forests, driving extinction and climate collapse. Healthy ecosystems are vital for sustaining all life, so we demand urgent, strong forest protection now. See you 5.30pm, Thursday, 2nd of December at Melbourne Museum. A 3CR supporter.